August is for championship running. And not just the track and field world championships happening in London, England right now. Last weekend was the World Mountain Running Champs in Primona, Italy. It's an event that was very well attended by Canadians in this wild, wild and weird sport. We caught up with the top Canadian finisher, Matt Sedlak. We'll air that in just a little bit, but first, Jeff Costin, he's our in-house run pundit. He dishes on what to expect at the World Track and Field Championships, and a little bit beyond that as well, too. You're listening to The Terminal Mile at The Terminal Mile on Instagram and Twitter, a Trackie Radio production. Jeff Gosson is many different things to many different people. He's been our in-house run pundit since day one. He's also the third place finisher in last year's Canadian Marathon Championships. He has ordered Asian food at a Mexican restaurant, and sometimes he forgets his keys and locks himself out of his house. This week, we caught up with him, well, both inside and outside of his house, and he dishes on what to expect on the World Championship scene, as well as what we can expect to see this fall. So it's exciting. We're in we're in World Championship season right now, and uh, I noticed that there is a big difference between this year's selection for the World Championships versus last year's selection, uh, Canadian team selection for the Olympics. Uh, in that, it's a lot more loose this year. Uh, you know, it's following IAAF standards, uh, which means that there was really no proof of fitness sort of standard. Um, if there's an IAAF invitation that someone received then they got to go which hasn't been the case in the past um also the marathon standards were to iaaf standards which means that we we get to see some of the friends of the show like thomas toth and rachel hannah go and uh and run in the world championships this time which is is very exciting in my opinion personally compare you know those two things what do you think is is better for track and field and and everything going forward so the more lenient standards, letting athletes with the IAAF standards allows for bigger teams, which I think has a lot of benefits for the individual athletes. There are some, like Thomas Toss that you mentioned, that you know are on the upswing, that this may be their first, I think this might be his first senior inter- major international competition, certainly in the marathon at least. Um, and then there would be others who you know have competed before, but for whatever reason, haven't uh, performed up to that level this year. And I, I think there's value in both cases. You're, not, you're never going to have things perfectly when you have one widely set standard to account for everybody's individual circumstances. But I think factoring in that development um, works differently for different athletes. Um, some are still progressing. Some are just having off years. But they st- it's still valuable to get that um, competitive experience. So this allows for that. Um, and they're still, obviously they've still met IAAF standards and will be, will be competitive, won't be, um, out of place in the races there. And I think it's a good thing that athletics Canada is able to send them all. For sure. For sure. And, uh, I know when we were talking about it before you, uh, you mentioned, you know, measuring success in medals, which is a very natural thing to do, uh, in sport and anything, you know, but I, I'm wondering, is it the right approach? I mean, just taking a look at the team last year versus the team this year, you know, there's a bunch of uh, high-profile retirements, uh, you know, maybe some changes in training and stuff. Are we setting ourselves up for failure by, you know, measuring our success in medals? So I think 
medals are as good a measuring stick as any, and it makes sense that sporting organizations are going to want to focus resources on um, how they can win the most amount of medals. What I think it, that needs to factor in, however, though, is um, is that good sport programs aren't just about supporting athletes who have already been identified as medal contenders or supporting sports that are already seen you know, as uh, sports where can, Canadians have a lot of potential to win medals. It's about supporting both, you know, at the participation and developmental level as well, and in some cases supporting that involves, you know, having more lenient standards so high-performance athletes who have met IAAF standards may not be medal contenders this time around, still get that experience as part of their uh, development so that they so that you have a bigger pool of athletes who have had that experience and better chances that somebody's going to have that breakthrough in future years. So I think there's room for both types of philosophies to complement each other if implemented properly. So, you know, in athletics, the way that works um, is that the Olympics is, is really the big show. I mean, world championships are nice, but world or, but Olympics are, are really the big deal. And uh, between those two Olympics, there there's always two world championships. In this case, there's the 2017 and the 2019. Um, you know, what do you think the goals of each are and what do you think that they should be? I don't think they have to be all that different. Because I know one, obviously, we're only one year removed from the Olympics right now, but athletes and sporting bodies as well are going to be more forward-looking than backward-looking. So, A, you want to give athletes the best uh, best chance of success at the World Championships because they're um, an important end to themselves. And then you want to also be able to use them as a building block for future Olympic championships. So you have a little bit more runway this time around with three years out to the next Olympics. So that's more, I guess that's more um, reason to be more inclusive, have uh, more lenient standards, send a bigger team. But at the same time, I think in 2019, you can make the same argument for having a big team that some athletes are going to get that uh, opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise have. That will serve them well in the following Olympics if they're, um, so I, I think I don't think the approach changes all that much. With that being said, um, you know there's a whole bunch of really really young people, uh, perhaps some wild cards, uh, who will really be cutting their teeth teeth uh, this year in London that might be really good in 2020. Who who are some of those wild cards and young guns that we we want to watch this time around? So. Out of Canadian athletes, I think Justin Knight will be an exciting one to watch. Um, he's been on the show, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, Syracuse athlete, now two-time NCAA medalist. He seems to progress pretty significantly every year and hasn't been in a major senior international competition like this, but based on his NCAA racing experience, definitely knows how to race and execute on a big stage. And I think... Um, He'll definitely be fearless out there. He'll never have raced against the quality of the Mofaras and some of the class of that field, but I think it'll be exciting to see him get an opportunity. Um, and then Mohamed Ahmed, his peer, isn't much older that he'll be racing with. I think 25, 26 years old. Um, 
in that same race. On the women's side, there's uh, Gabriella Stafford running in the 1500 who just uh, won a national championship and has been a multiple-time CIS champ. She's looking good in the 1500. Um, obviously, Andre DeGrasse is still a young man himself, and he's been the focus of a lot of Canadian media attention and fan attention leading into this for good reason because he's coming off of, um, you know, his double medal performance at the last Olympics. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Mohamed, a uh, really big fan of him. He's uh he's definitely a friend of the show. And, uh, you know, last year he, he came forth in a, a very exciting race. He, he's had some really, really good times. I mean, like he's, he's a 1301 runner, uh, has really been working on his kick. Do you think that this could be his big breakthrough tournament? I think it can be a breakthrough. It would be another breakthrough because he definitely had that last year as well, running 1301 seemingly out of nowhere and then running, um, you know, executed perfectly at the Olympics and coming forth. I've typically seen him as a traditional distance runners runner, so not somebody that would be well suited, particularly against the fires of the world, leaving it to the last lap. But he's already demonstrated he can compete at the highest level. So I think he'll be well served to um, assert himself early and make sure the pace is honest. And then um, he could be in contention for hardware. It's still a very competitive race and the field is um, similarly strong to last year. But I, I think obviously winning a world championship medal would be huge for his career and I don't, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. So, you know, I have to say that, at least in Canada anyways, uh, the World Championships is very exciting, but for track fans like myself and like yourself and really like the person who, who's listening to this podcast, a lot of the excitement comes in, in the qualifications and, uh, and some of the stories that, that come along with that. Um, does anything really stick out to you as far as, you know, who, who had some of the better qualification stories going into World Championships this year? I think there's a good one with Rachel Cliff, and that's been pretty well documented, just that she had such a good breakthrough last year um, by any measure to dip under the Canadian standard. And then disappointingly and surprisingly for a lot of people, she wasn't set to Rio. Um, I think Athletics Canada said it was based on her trials performance. So that was, um, you know, not a good story for anyone to see, but it didn't break her, obviously. She just had a strong year up to this point, ran well at the New York Half Marathon, building on her range, and now she gets to compete on the international stage, which is outstanding. So that's a good story to see, and will be good to was good to see her qualify, and will be good to see how she performs. Well, there's a whole lot of stuff going on outside of the World Championships, so, but just one more question about the World Championships. Is there any events that uh, you'll definitely be tuning in, uh, you know, definitely be trying to, to catch? I think I think the 10,000 and 5,000 will be particularly exciting on the men's side. Uh, we talked about Justin Knight and Mohamed Ahmed on the 5,000, and then, of course, um, Mo Farah, who's returning to London, where he won his first um, double gold at the Olympics. So it's um, he's definitely putting himself in the, in the category with some of the grades from other generations, at least in terms of hardware. Uh, people may not um, 
not like his personality and there's the cloud of suspicion around performance enhancing drugs with the Nike Oregon project. But I think he still has that mystique and that kick that um, on the last lap, there are a few people who think they can beat him. So he's given some sort of indication that he thinks his fitness isn't where he needs it to be, but who knows how much of that's real and how much is positioning he's run, you know, he's run 13 flat this year, so he should be pretty fit and, Obviously, we'll be looking to see um, if he can get yet another double um, in his home country. And, of course, the women's 800, we, we would be uh, remiss not to mention that. Uh, how do you think that'll turn out? Yeah, so, well, there's... The, obviously, as a Canadian, we want to see uh, Castor Semenya... Oh, sorry. <laughs> we want to see Melissa... We want to see Melissa Bishop perform well, and she's had a great season leading up to this um, and has been one of the fan favorites for Canadian track fans. I think there is controversy that I slipped into earlier <laughs> surrounding Castor Semenya, and that conversation will continue to happen. I think she's um, listed in the 1500 as well, which makes it um, you know, an even bigger conversation, but I'm sure we'll take up a big part of... Uh, world championships discussions. So it's, um, it's, it's a challenging question to wrap our heads around in terms of her own status. And, but I think she's handled it with, uh, with poise and I think has dealt with it admirably and wish her the best, but yeah, we'll obviously be, um, rooting for Melissa Bishop in that race. For sure, for sure. Um, you know, moving on from uh, events that are not in the World Championships, but but maybe should be, and uh, my tongue is firmly planted in cheek on that one, but uh, the Blue Jean Mile, been making tons of noise. Uh, our very own Rory Linkletter uh, just set the set the world record for that uh, a about a week ago. Uh, there's also the Beer Mile World Champion or World Classic, which I believe is happening this weekend as well, too. You know, talk to me. Battle of the novelty running-based events. First of all, why are we so good at it? And what is the preferred novelty running-based event in your mind? Well, you um, you alluded to something that they should be in the world championships, and I'm sure that would be good for Canadians because, like you said, we have some good performers in them. Um, and I think some people would make similar comments about Canada's success in the Winter Olympics with um, some of the more uh, peculiar events you get there. But I would say um, it's hard It's hard to attribute anything, and whether it's the beer mile um, or the, um, the blue jean mile, to anything particularly Canadiana. And obviously, Corey Belmore and Rory Linkletter are pretty... Uh, accomplished runners in their own right so that helps a lot but um if anything if anything canadian identity is more about individual identity than um, anything collective so maybe as a consequence of that we have an ecosystem for kind of strange hobbies like this and that's why um that's why you have these guys pop up doing it better than anyone in the world Speaking of individuals, um, you know, your friend of mine, Jeff Mountjoy, an excellent beer miler. 
how good at the blue jean mile do you think you'd be? Oh, that's a good question. Usually if he does a blue jean mile, it's because the LCBO is closing, but I've never um, actually seen one um, race, but I'm, I'm sure he could, uh, he has the virility to handle it well and has run some pretty decent miling back in his day as well. So I'm sure he could pick it up pretty decently. Maybe a, a novelty duathlon. Yeah, that'd be great. He's, he's what a, do you do first, though? I guess blue jean mile first. Oh, no, no. You do the beer mile first, I would think, anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's a tougher order of operations. So, you know, I got thinking about this the other day, but, um, you know, obviously with uh, the big news, Eric Gillis going to uh, his alma mater to, to coach, uh, I mean, he's still in it, but, you know, you, you got to think that he's looking ahead at this point. Um, you know, I follow uh, Reed Coolset on, on Strava as well. He's getting a lot of biking and he's he's been pretty injured this year. Uh, which, you know, it, yeah. it's not great. We hope that he gets back soon. But again, he's up there with Gillis, and, and you know, they're both getting older. He, who is the next generation of marathoners? Who should we be looking at at this point? Yeah, well, well, first of all, as you alluded to, that's a, that's a great pickup for St. FX with Eric Gillis um, being announced as their assistant coach for the year, and then he'll be their head coach. Um, just with his resume of accomplishments and the way but he's gone about it with consistency and progressing gradually it's indicative of you know having the right mindset for someone you'd want as a coach and then he's very decorated uh, in terms of international experience he's trained with Guelph and Speed River for so long which is one of the best programs to model um, yourself after and then obviously He's um, he's an alum of St. FX, so you can come up with a better fit, and that gives them some instant credibility on the CIS scene. As far as who's going to fill that void, they're definitely big shoes to fill, and I don't think I, I don't think there's anyone that instantly gets that hat. But we have a lot of good young Canadian marathoners who are. Um, plugging away at it, Thomas Toth, we've spoken about already, mm. and qualified for Worlds, and we'll have a good opportunity to uh, make an impression there. And I think Sammy Jabril has been looming. I, he hasn't really, I think he's looking towards running Scotia, and he could definitely be a guy to watch out for out of Toronto. Tristan Wood finds another guy who's shown potential over the longer distances, um, hasn't really nailed a marathon um, quite the way some of his other performances indicate he could be capable, but, um, and then obviously not quite as young, but, um, we'll see if, uh, we'll see if Cam Lovins actually moves up to it. I think he was initially talking about doing it in 2017 with his, um, recent injury history and subsequent loss of fitness. I think that would be a little bit crazy, but obviously he has the aptitude for high volume and training and, um, so moving to that event eventually, once he gets a solid stream of training under his belt, should be a no-brainer, I would think. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, you mentioned Cam Levins. Uh, you know, Cam Levins just uh, just starting his comeback now has started fresh with uh, with his old coach. Uh, also, Dylan Wikes. It was announced that his comeback is uh, is very imminent as well. Too, I was talking to Kevin Coffey probably 
a little bit ago, uh, a mutual friend of ours, another great marathoner. Uh, and Dylan, it sounded like Dylan kind of had his eye on, on a marathon this fall anyways. Um, should we call 2017 the year of the comeback? And, uh, and what do you think the, the forecast is for those guys? Yeah, and Coffee is another guy that I should have mentioned under emerging marathoners. He's a little bit older than the guys I mentioned, but got into the sport relatively late um, and has been progressing nicely. I think, um, yeah, it's great to see Wikes back at it. Like um, like uh, Dylan and Eric, he was performing very well around 2012 and looked like he might have been the most talented of the bunch uh, and is a few years younger as well. Um, but he's struggled a bit since then with injuries primarily. And so I think obviously that has to be frustrating for anyone. Um, Taking a step away from it may have been good and just, you know, learning to enjoy the sport maybe um, in a more recreational way with the mile to marathon coaching he was doing and instructing. Um, And then, you know, developing some fitness in the process that may have been a building block. So it looks like he's, getting there and I saw that he might be looking at a fall marathon after running a solid half this past spring. Um, so I think all Canadian distance fans will have our eyes on that and we'll be pulling for him. All right. One last question. And and this one's kind of off the cuff, but if you could choose any retired runner at this point in, in Canada to make a comeback, who would you, who would you want it to be? It has to be a Canadian. You said, uh, I think so. I think so. That's a good question. Uh, I, I think Simon Byru only in that his career seemed to fade away so prematurely, and I feel like um, who knows how things could have been done differently, and it would be good to see him have a different run at the marathon. And then just, um, you know, if we're talking about original age and form, I would go with Steve Boyd or somebody from the 80s to really um, – bring back the 80s hair um, <laughs> into the road racing scene. Oh, I think we're all cheering for for a big Steve Boyd comeback. He was uh, he was planning on run, <laughs> running a half marathon uh, this spring that actually I was entered in. And uh, it, it might have been a little bit of a relief to find out he wasn't running it. But uh, mostly we wish good things yeah, for Yeah, I don't think he qualifies as a retired athlete, but I guess semi-less engaged in it than he once was, I guess we can say. For sure, for sure. He's uh he's Jeff Costin and he is our in-house run pundit and uh he may not always remember his keys, but he is uh he's pretty on top of you know <laughs> what happens in the Canadian running circle. And uh hey man, thanks a lot for, for coming on. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. Just one more thing before I let you go though. There was one more uh emerging marathoner that uh, that you did miss on, on the men's side anyways uh and that is the bronze medalist from the canadian championships last year um you know you're pretty close to him how's his build going into scotia this year uh, thank you for framing that that way um just starting the build i ran you know i had a decent spring season what could have been a decent spring season and then i kind of hurt my knee in the middle of it, which threw things off a bit. Um, but yeah, um, had a not great 5k a couple of weeks ago, which was good. Um, 
if nothing else, is a reminder that the focus should be on the marathon going forward. So I'm really just in the baby steps of it. I've had about one week of marathon training, which was good, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't mistake that for, um, I wouldn't get overconfident about that because I know it gets a lot harder. For sure. For sure. Well, thanks a lot for, for, uh, you know, being on the show this week, man. Thanks, Michael. Mountain running is this very strange event that has caught traction over the past couple of years, attracting some very, very top caliber runners. This past weekend in Primana, Italy, was the World Mountain Running Champs, with the long course actually happening this coming up weekend. We caught up with Matt Selak. He was the top Canadian finisher last weekend. He'll explain more about the sport and uh, his own running. We caught up with him just outside of the Austrian border. All right, so there's a lot of exciting things that I think that we we can talk about, but uh, perhaps we should start with just where in the world am I speaking to you right now? Um, I'm not even sure what the name of the town is, uh, but it's in northern Italy, close to like uh, Trento and Bolzano, just south of the border of Austria. So we were in Milan, that's where I flew into, Milan Malpensa. And after the race, Adrian Lambert and Matt Travellini, the three of us rented a car and drove north to the mountains, to the Dolomites in Italy here. So we wanted to do some mountain running, and it's incredible for trail running and mountain running over here. So that's why we came out. So it's like, it's close to Trento, which is a big city, just to the northwest of Trento, Italy. So with all that, um, you know, you, you have a couple really, really big races uh, while you're over there. One of them happened last weekend. Uh, maybe you can touch on that. Yeah, that race, uh, it was on the 30th of July, 2017, this past Sunday. The distance was 13 kilometers total. It was two laps, each lap six and a half kilometers. And the elevation gain was uh, about eight, 800 meters, 850 meters total. And it was an up and down course. And uh, so for the first lap, you'd go to the top of this little bit of a up side of a mountain and then come back down to the start line and then do the same thing twice. Every year it changes. Uh, last year was an up only course. So I went to Bulgaria for the world championships there. And uh, last year you started at the bottom of the mountain and went to the top of a mountain. Elevation gain was 1,400 meters and distance was about 13 kilometers. Oh, wow. And this year it's an up and down course, so it's just 800 meters elevation, and the distance is similar, 13 kilometers. But next year it'll go back to the up only. And the European Championships, they do the reverse of us. So this year it was just up uphill only for European Championships. Next year it's up and down, and uh, that's the World Championships for mountain running. So I, I was going to say this past weekend was the World Championships. What's coming up? Uh, I believe you have another race still this weekend. Uh, what's that yeah. race? On uh, Sunday, the 6th of August, 2017, it's uh, a long distance. And I think they call it the World Mountain Running Long Distance Championships. And the distance is 32 kilometers. Oh. And I think the elevation gain is like 2,900 meters in the mountains. It starts from the same spot called Pramana, Italy, and that's just to the northeast of Milan, I think. Close to Monza, actually, just past Monza, where that sub-two-hour attempt was was done, like, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think a lot of a lot of our listeners are kind of new to this whole mountain running thing. Uh, perhaps you can just, you know, give a give a quick primer. What what is mountain running? And maybe, you know, are are there big names in it? You know, are there people that you guys, you know, look to uh, as, you know, the, the best in the world? Or does the do the changing courses kind of make sure that there isn't people like that? Um, last year, the best in the world were the Ugandans, and, uh, well, no, actually, first place last year was an American, a guy named Joe Gray from Colorado Springs, super nice guy. He actually won the Vancouver Sun Run this year. We saw him when we were down in Colorado Springs training, Emily and I, and, uh, great guy. This year, he was fourth overall. Last year, he won the championship. Uh, but this year, a Ugandan one. I think it was Uganda went one, two, three in the senior men's race. And then it was fourth was uh, Joe Gray. And uh, I guess the first question was, what is mountain running? Mm-hmm. I think it's just uh, like uphill running. The minimum requirement is for every kilometer you go forward, I think you have to go up like 100 meters or something. Oh, wow. But there's like a minimum you have to elevation gain. Otherwise, it's not considered through mountain running and uh yeah it uh the best in the world are probably the ugandans i'd say maybe the kenyans the americans are very strong italians are very strong Mm -hmm. and uh this year i think they were like first place for the senior men was uganda second place i think was italy and third was i think it was uh usa but the italians are extremely strong in mountain running they live in like the Dolomites, they have an incredible place to train here. And uh, it's like in their blood, mountain running over here. It's crazy. They're incredible. Hmm. Well, I, you know, I think you're being pretty humble. You uh, you finished in, in the 40s uh, this past weekend, uh, top Canadian. Uh, an excellent result, really. You know, you live in Cold Lake, Alberta. I'm not sure that it's really well known for its mountains. How how did you get into, you know, mountain running? And, and what made you think, you know, this is a really good idea? Um, well, I think originally I wanted to make a national team. And I thought mountain running would be one way I could do it. So uh, I, I first got into it last year in 2016. And I went to the Squamish uh, Nationals at the Sea to Sky race it was like six or seven k long a thousand meters up and then i got to go to bulgaria after that uh i just like to be in nature i like to be in the forest in the mountains i like trail running it's just something i really enjoy doing i'm passionate about it and uh yeah that's i guess one of the reasons i got into it in the first place i just something i enjoy i like being in the mountains climbing and running and this just fits me just perfect just the environment that we're in like uh in the dolomites right now and the people you meet it's super chill. It's not like tense or anything. I really enjoy it a lot. So how does one train for, you know, mountain running, especially if there, there may not be a whole lot of mountains, uh, nearby. I've been doing a lot of, uh, like half marathon and 10 K training. Steve Boyd from physical in Kingston, Ontario was my coach. And, uh, mainly this spring, I've just been training for like half marathons and the Vancouver sun run. And putting in a lot of mileage, doing two, maybe three week, three workouts a week. And I think, I don't know if it's absolutely necessary to run mountains to be really good at it. It definitely would help, but it's not essential, I don't think. Maybe if you want to be like the best in the world, 
But to do like okay, like I did, not absolutely essential. The other girl who was the first Canadian, Megan Franks, she's from Mississippi, and I don't think there's many mountains down there. She's doing it pretty well. For sure, for sure. So, so you know, right now, uh, you know, there's a big uh, ultra boom. Uh, you know, ultra marathoning boom, and uh, they do a lot of you know single track stuff, and and you know maybe even even less of paths. What, what's the, what's the running surface like for mountain running? It's um, it's a mix actually, all types of surfaces. In this particular race that I just did on Sunday, the World Champs, you started on an asphalt road for the first five hundred meters, and then it narrowed into this like six foot wide alley. And it was cobblestones in the ground. And then you went around this like maze-like alley up the stairs and around a bunch of corners and then up more. And you got onto some trails with like uh, stones on the ground. And there was a bit of gravel too. And then there was grass and there was like lots of rocks. And uh, there were some really steep areas that were just grass. And then the way down, a lot of stones, some concrete and uh, some more asphalt. So it, it varied quite a bit, and I wasn't sure what to choose to wear. I have a pair of Brooks T7 racing flats, and I also have a pair of like Salomon Sense Ultra Soft Ground shoes. I think they're called. It's like a trail shoe, mm-hmm. and I ended up running with the trail shoe because they uh, they're a little more aggressive on the outsole and gave me better grip, even though they're heavier. Um, you know, you've been you've been making some some big waves this year, both uh, both you and your wife Emily, who has also been on the show. Uh, big PBs from both of you. You know what what has uh, what has been the difference this year? Um, I was actually thinking about the same thing. I think one of the big things comes down to priority, placing a priority on training in my life, and uh, I'm going to be going on pilot training in January. And once that starts, it's going to be full-on, 100% flying and uh, studying. And I don't know how much time I'm going to have to devote to training like I am right now. So I really wanted to get focused and uh, put in some good mileage and get in some good races and see what I could really do now before I start training, pilot training. And uh, so I I just wanted to see what I could do. And uh, I just put a high priority on training in my life. And another thing I did was uh, I started running to work, like uh, consistently, consistently every single day, hmm. all year round. And I've been doing that for like two or three years now. And so from like Monday to Friday when I work, I run to work and back to back home, and it's like ten miles round trip. Hmm. And then at lunchtime I also run the treadmill, and do a bunch of other exercises. And on the weekends I've been pretty consistent. So a big thing is that down to like priority and also consistency with my training not really missing a day in like months mm-hmm. so that was uh, that was big consistent and being consistent over the past year and also being consistent over the past several years i think made a big difference for me but uh yeah that's probably what made the biggest difference and then also having support from like uh from running room providing shoes so i don't get injured with all the mileage mileage i'm doing that helped a lot and uh, having Emily there as well, she's training hard. It makes it a lot easier for me to train hard when you're both uh, really seriously into it. But, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it, I think. Those are the main main things. Hmm. Northern Alberta isn't, isn't known for, uh, you know, 
nice temperatures, you know, all year round and stuff, you know, how, how do you motivate yourself to, and, and prepare yourself to run in weather that I imagine probably, you know, gets pretty close to minus 40 some days. Yeah. It's pretty tough sometimes. It's very challenging to train in the wintertime. I train a lot. Most of the time is on the treadmill, except for when I'm running to and from work. But just having, I think just getting to work and getting home again is motivation enough to train. And also another thing is Emily and I share one vehicle. So she's a sub teacher in Cold Lake and she needs to use the vehicle to get to work. So that leaves me, I don't really need a car to get to work anyways, but it helps. Like if you don't run to work, you're not getting to work. And uh, that eliminates any sort of choice, which I, I don't mind at all. But uh, I, I'm really lucky to have a really good gym to train at right at work. So at lunchtime, I can go over to the gym, which is right in my workplace. And we have showers and uh, change rooms, which is perfect, which helps a lot. And uh, there's also a gym on the base. And the PSP staff there are, do a really good job of maintaining it and getting us really good equipment. So that's, that's the main thing, just putting in the mileage in the wintertime on the treadmill most of the time. Yeah, it's pretty hard to stay motivated, but I guess when you have Emily, a wife who's dedicated, just like you are, it makes it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I see that you tag, uh, you know, Ron Hill and Ron Hill clothing, clothing brand and stuff uh, in, in a lot of your posts. I, that seems almost kind of funny to me because, I mean, I know Ron Hill because I'm a bit of a student of the sport, but, uh, he, you know, do lots of people still wear his clothes in other parts of the world and stuff? And do lots of people still know where he, who he is in other parts of the world as well? Um, I'm not sure in terms of other parts of the world. I've seen a bunch of people wearing it in Canada, and I think it's big in England, I remember when I used to live in England, I saw it a lot more there, just because it's based right out of Manchester, England, mm-hmm. and that's where Ron Hill's from. Um, but the girl who was third place in the senior women's race on Sunday, Sarah Tunstall, she's also um, supported by Ron Hill, and she was third place, and she was also second place at the Uphill European Championships. So she's like a super-fast mountain runner. And there's another guy, Joe, he was 51st on Sunday, also supported by Ron Hill. So they have some pretty quick athletes there. And they make incredible clothes. I'm super impressed. Uh, every year for the past, like, three years, Ron Hill has uh, supported the Canada Askins 100-mile relay team with Running Room. So our team is called Ron Hill Running Room Team. And we won this year. And last year, I think we were, like, second. So they every year they support us for this uh, this race that we do. And it's phenomenal clothing, extremely functional, really high quality. I think it's some of the best clothing for running in the world. He is Matt Setlack. He is uh, currently in Italy right now near the the Austrian border uh, for the World Mountain Running Championships. Uh, He's the top scoring Canadian uh, this past weekend. And, uh, you know, thanks. Thanks for being on the show, Matt. Uh, Really appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to do this. No problem. Thank you, Michael. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guests this week, both Jeff and Matt, as well as to Tracky for their ongoing support, and to you for listening. If you want to find us online, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at the Terminal Mile. As well, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, Tracky.ca. 
Thanks again for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. <laughs>